It's time. Coming to you through Spotify, 89.1 Villanova Radio. This is Wildcat Formation, baby. I'm your host, Anders Pryor. Historically large week of content being brought straight here just for you guys. Hope you're all having an excellent day. Weather outside is crazy. Mother Nature playing some Russian roulette with us. As is per usual this time of year. Selection Sunday. This Sunday, I like... Gonzaga, Purdue, and Auburn as my top three championship run favorites. I also have UConn and Murray State as my two Sweet 16 Elite Eight sleepers, so be on the lookout for them. Thank you for joining us today on what is going to be an excellent, excellent show. Aaron Rodgers got the bag, and all the baggage comes with it. That's what we're starting off today. $200 million over a four-year period, 153 of that $200 million coming in guaranteed money. Now, Aaron's caliber as a player gives him a lot of options. I mean, outside of the Chiefs and the Bills, essentially, you know, with Brady gone now, he could essentially have gone wherever he wanted, really. Even the Saints, with their abysmal cap situation, would have found some way to make it work. So he got the money that he wanted. And so that really shows here now, in this moment in reality, kind of post this month of, you know, just constant back and forth about what he's going to do, what his intentions really are. Because story came out, I believe it was CBS, a few days ago, Broncos, Pittsburgh, Steelers, Titans were the three teams that he had the most interest in if he were to leave. And there's a case to be made for all those teams, right? The Broncos, I would say, have more depth at offensive weaponry. I I would like to believe that Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler are by the most part better than Alan Lazard and Valdez Scantling and the likes of that. Pittsburgh, better receivers um, that you're not really paying that much to, like Chase Claypool's right now because he's on his rookie contracts, very cheap. And their defense is a win-now defense with a mix of highly touted veterans and really good young players. Um, and then the Titans, they just have better receivers, uh, a better run game. You know, Derrick Henry being able to pass the ball off to him. You know, we know how much Aaron... Loves his passer rating, doesn't throw any picks, so having someone like that in the building really helps. They just have a better pass rush overall. Just signed uh, Harold Landry back on a new deal, so he's locked up. But he stays, which I don't think surprises anyone. We were all talking about, oh, he is right out the door. Mm-mm. Because no one, when the story broke, was like, oh my god, he's staying. How just... Mm-mm, no, we all had a feeling that this is just how it's going to turn out, but it, but it, but it's fine, right? I think it's a fair move. I think it's a good move for him. I think it's definitely the right move for the Packers because they don't really have any kind of stable situation. I mean, God, we don't know what is going to happen with Devontae Adams in terms of the franchise tag if he leaves, um, but he's staying, and so is Adams. And so there's two things that have become really apparent from this decision on the part of Aaron in terms of what he really wants 
towards the end of his career. The first, this is obvious, dough, money, right? Because he's aware of the time he has left, right? He's 38, he's on 32, and he's aware that in the time that he does have left, he's not going to be able to catch up to Brady in terms of rings and whatever, and he's not going to be able to be able to catch up to Breeze in terms of passing yards, postseason, regular season, whatever. So if the only thing you can really chase is another Super Bowl and not seven and finishing in a certain degree of, you know, top whatever, passing yards, all-time whatever, and not first, just go get paid, right? He's on the verge of retiring anyway. He's made that very clear. Just go get the money while you can. And the second thing he wants is respect, right? He made that very clear that what I really think that he's looking for in this case is he really wants closure for him about what Green Bay really thinks of him. Because I think it would be naive to say that he still doesn't think about the Jordan Love pick, right? And they would not give him this much money if they think about Jordan Love, what they claim to think about, that he's ready and he's good in practice and that he's set to go in any moment. And again, I, I, don't, I don't really give him the hard time because I, I think that that one game that he had against the Chiefs was not an accurate representation of his true ability. Anyone's first game going up against Patrick Mahomes in Arrowhead is just not a realistic expectation in terms of creating an initial impression of success. So I don't take much from that, but I do think that what Aaron is now saying to himself is like, okay, they gave me the money, so now I really know what they think of me, I know how much they value me, and going forward, I can be content with this being where I want to be. Because of that, they feel more comfortable Franchise tagging Devontae Adams, which again, I also thought was the right thing to do. Now that he has the money, he got paid, whatever. He got what he wanted. This whole situation between him and Gudenkus and whoever, right? Aaron has kind of, I would say, he won, right? But now that he got the money in this kind of salary cap era... He is complaining about how we don't have enough good weapons, whatever. That kind of becomes a little dicey now because, you know, it's like, hey, we gave you this money and this extra $10 million, $12 million, whatever that we, you know, that we you're promised in this contract, we're not going to be able to go spend that on another receiver, if you're being paid that much, it's harder to acquire weapons. And, you know, whatever that means, whether it means trading down their first-round pick, whether it means, you know, trading some bigger pieces on the team, whether offensive or defensive, to get some more high-quality picks over the course of this contract. There's a bunch of different ways that you can approach that and tackle it, but you can't just straight-up say, we need more weapons go get me more weapons. And, you know, oh, wow, but Anders, the, the guaranteed money, it makes this cap hit a little smaller. I'm like, well, 
it's a little smaller. It's not a, it's not big enough to like a Brady pay cut where it makes a significant difference. But what I will say is that the guaranteed money within itself is scary because of the fact that Rodgers has threatened to retire twice, basically, and you would be naive to say that there's still not a possibility that he could just walk out the door at any second because we know how sensitive he can get to certain things not going his way. And so if he's gone, you've got to pay him still, and that scares me. But I do think that the salary helps a little bit in terms of depth. I don't think you can really get a proper number two receiver for him that he trusts unless you do some manipulation or some trading or you really focus on the draft, etc. What this also does is that now it falls on him in terms of pressure to win. He got what he wanted, so prove the contract, right? Brady's gone, okay? Um, Sean Payton, gone, right? Cowboys are in a weird spot with a lot of their contracts. Mari Cooper's situation doesn't look healthy. Also reports being that Demarcus Lawrence is unsatisfied with his contract, right? And the Rams, they're the only other threat, but, you know, they're in cap hell, essentially. And who knows what how they're going to be able to do that and who they're going to be able to retain. And with Whitworth gone, like, how do you dress in the draft? They don't have picks, so they, they there's certain limitations how many cheap options they can really get without having to cut major pieces. And so now there's no excuses because Bears just traded Khalil Mack, right? Rookie head coach. Lions are the Lions who I think are six, seven game win kind of team this year, but is not enough to compete with Green Bay. And then the Vikings have a rookie head coach. You know, go go show me the money, right? We gave you the money. Show us the money. Show us on the field. So that's that. Russell Wilson is a Denver Bronco, and it is raining in Seattle. Let's start with the Seahawks. So to to be just to cover the whole detail of the trade, um, Broncos received Russell Wilson in a fourth-round pick that I believe is in 2023. And then so... And then... The Seahawks will receive quarterback Drew Locke, tight end Noah Fant, uh, defensive um, lineman. I believe he can he's played he can play tackle and edge a little bit. Shelby Harris, two firsts, one in twenty two and one in twenty three, two seconds, one in twenty two and one in twenty three, and then a fifth that I believe is in twenty three. So let's start with the Seahawks. So of everything here, I I, I can't. I can't speculate on picks because every class is different and there are draft day trades. And so I, I can't, I don't want to talk about that. But in terms of the pieces that they got, you know, the only piece that I'm really super excited about is Noah Fant. I got a little bit of the drops. I think it's fine. I think he's going to recover from it. I think he's going to step right in and be a real legitimate tight end one for the team. He's got a lot of great years of football ahead of him. Really good receiving tight end. He can block a bit too. Good vertical stretch out. Can run ins really well. Um, does the post really nicely. Um, and so I'm super excited about him. 
In terms of the other two pieces, if they're doing a rebuild, Shelby Harris is good, but he's not the right age for it. I believe he's 31, so it's not a skill issue for him. He's really good, but, you know, that's a whole separate thing. I think Drew Locke is better than a lot of people would like to think. Um, I think he's a big arm. I think he has some mobility. Um, I think he has some accuracy issues, but those are just things where, you know, under the right system might get tweaked, and it's unfortunate that he's going from a defensive coach in Vic Fangio to another defensive non-quarterback-centric coach in Pete Carroll, but that's a whole different thing. And I really like him. I don't think he's good enough to be a long-term solution. I think that he is more of a bridge guy. I don't want to speculate on the draft picks, but what I will say is that historically, they don't hit, they being the Seahawks, a lot of day one and early day two picks. And ever since Pete Carroll has kind of stepped into this new role of power, where he's a lot of say in the draft about three to four years ago, they miss on a lot of stuff. And so I think for as long, not Pete Carroll being the coach necessarily, but I think that as long as Pete Carroll gets the draft room power that he currently has, it's not going to be possible for them to win the trade. Where they go outside of him, I'm not sure, but they have to shift it up a little bit because clearly something's not working. That being said, I think that their biggest needs this year in the draft their three biggest, I think, which would be right tackle, cornerback, and an edge rusher to put alongside and learn under Shelby Harris while he's there. Those are all insanely deep positions in this upcoming class, especially in the second round. So I'm not worried about that. Also, for it to be said, since I know that I've seen a lot of mocks and people talking about this kind of being a speculatory thing, I don't think that they should take Malik Willis at nine. First of all, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not even available there because he gets taken by the Panthers, but I don't think that if he does fall to nine, they shouldn't take him because I don't think, at least in his rookie year, I like him going forward. I think he's going to be a really you know, nice kind of mobile piece to an offense. Big arm very clear level of maturity. I don't necessarily believe that Malik Willis can come into his rookie year in that offense and be distinctively better than Drew Locke can be, assuming that they stick with him and they don't go for for, for a Trubisky or Marcus Mariota or whoever. So I can't really make super intensive predictive comments about the Seahawks situation just because I don't know what their quarterback room looks like at the moment outside of Drew Locke being a potential starter, and I don't know what those draft picks are going to be looking like. So in the next two years, that's what it's going to look like in terms of when we're going to know who won this thing. But right now, I can't really make any super harsh comments. But let's go to the state of Colorado with the Broncos and Mr. Wilson, this is going to be a big year for the Broncos. I'm especially excited to see how they use Javante Williams in a receiving role coming out of the backfield. And reports are saying, you know, that this was a conversation that they were having with the Seahawks two weeks ago. I don't really view this as like an instinctive reflexive reaction to Aaron Rodgers going and staying with the Packers in Green Bay. Um, I think that's something that they really wanted and that's something that they had really planned 
on doing and calculating for a while. I have mixed thoughts about how this is going to affect Nathaniel Hackett, who I really like as a new head coach. On one hand, it's going to make his job really easy, not from a talent perspective because Wilson is a top 10 quarterback, but also in that Russell is such a natural leader and a naturally intelligent mind. It's going to make his job where he's leading a pack collectively for the first time much easier because they can lean on each other and kind of create this collective veteran presence at the head of the pack. I also think from what footage I've seen through the mini docs that the Broncos have been posting on YouTube that they do have very similar personalities. They're both kind of, you know, like go team, family oriented, um, both very, you know, faith driven, um, know how to have a little fun every now and then in terms of being goofy, but, you know, are very serious and intelligent and persistent in what they do in their respective crafts. And so I'm not worried about chemistry for them. But I do think, on the other hand, it creates a sense of pressure for Nathan Hackett right off the bat to be successful because he's like, well, listen, you're stepping right in, and you got Russell Wilson, and you got all these offensive receivers, and you got all of these running backs, and you got this defense that's going to be able to create a bubble for you to not you know, have to win everything by a shootout. And what I'm worried about is that they're going to give him like three years. And if they don't make the AFC title game within those three years, then he's out the, out the door. At least they, at least it's a conversation. And so I don't know how I feel in terms of the pressure on him, but I'm really, I really think that they're a good match together. Here's what I'm going to say for Russell Wilson. I know that the Vegas odds moved the Broncos Super Bowl likelihood from, I think it was plus 2,200 to plus 1,400. And I'm going to challenge that a little bit. Do I think the Broncos are a better team? Obviously. But I have some remarks. First of all, outside of the run game and slightly on the right side of the offensive line, he's downgrading in a lot of offensive areas. First of all, I think Dwayne Brown, the left tackle for the Seahawks, would start on the Broncos O-line. And there is also, and I really believe this, and I don't understand people who push back on it, and they, I think they mostly do it out of spite for the Seahawks and their performance this year, there is not a receiver in that Denver receiving room that is better than DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett. Numbers show that. I don't, there, there's not really much pushback that you can put onto that. Second of all, right, I knew you can say, oh, Russell Wilson, he's a real competitor. Like he's a real good, you know, real good quarterback, real nice player. He's not afraid of competition. And, you know, he played in the hardest division in football with Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. You know, he's he's a real like nose down and work guy. So, I mean, hey, you know, he can he can overcome anything. All right, let's hold on a second. Let's backtrack on that. When we say division, I understand that coaching's different and you know. Andy Reid's great, but Brandon Staley has questionable optics. Josh McDaniels is going to be, I mean, this is really, I, I I mean, I think most people are kind of viewing, even though he's been a head coach before, it's kind of a fluke. I 
think this is his real, real, like, proper rookie head coaching season with in a legitimate position with a legitimate quarterback in Derek Carr. That's fine, right? Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, sure, right? They're in an elite category. And he went against those and was able to compete consistently with them. We talk about quarterback play. Because quarterbacks, we've seen quarterbacks this year elevate the coaches, right? We saw Joe Burrow in a full healthy season take Zach Taylor from the hot seat to an extension for four more years. So we, if we know about how much quarterbacks elevate head coaches, the quote-unquote most dominating division in football that Russell Wilson was going up against, Carson Palmer, eh. Josh Rosen, eh. Colin Kaepernick, eh. Nick Mullins, eh. Brian Hoyer, eh. Austin Davis, eh. Nick Foles, eh. Case Keenum, eh. Nothing particularly impressive in that decade of dominance in the NFC West. Now, McVay comes along and makes Goff amazing. And Kyle Shanahan, you know, Jimmy G comes over and he's great. He gets into a Super Bowl. But the majority of the time, it was a lot of B, B-ish competition that he was going up against. Now he's stepping into a division with former MVP Patrick Mahomes, one of the most physically gifted athletes that this league has ever seen. Justin Herbert, who is so unbelievably naturally gifted and physically gifted and just is going to continue to get better. Derek Carr, who we all criticize, right? Um, but the streaks he has for passing yards in at a certain intervals within the season and game-winning drives, he has nobody who Wilson faced from like 2011 to 2000, whatever, 15, 16, 17, has anything close to that kind of streak. It's going to work because Russell makes, Wilson makes everything work. But what I'm saying is that let's pump the brakes a little bit and let's go through a little bit of the season before we start to put these guys in the dead center of the Super Bowl bubble. So everyone take a deep breath, relax, because the NFL is crazy. It just got crazier. Carson Wentz heading over to the newly rebranded Washington Commanders for two third-round picks. And Washington is hit with hysterical because, oh, my God. And, I mean, I I mean, Carson went, oh, my God, he's awful. All right. Really? Yeah, he's, oh, my God, he's reckless. He's, okay. First of all, four to one touchdown pick ratio, right? And I know his receptions, they're ugly, they're weird, they're unnecessary, they're forced, they're hard to watch. I get it. First of all, half of that was just matchup stuff against Tennessee, which he's gone out now, right? And maybe he is, you know, sporadic. Fine, right? And I, I don't, I don't believe the oh he's toxic in the locker room stuff because you know why? 
that we all know. Come on, that's protection stuff. I mean, why? Why would Frank Reich, who was a close relationship with Carson Wentz, bring him in if he was so toxic? And Chris Bell was like, "Oh my God, he's just a not a good." All right, whatever. We're it's nonsense. The Washington Commanders were a better team an hour after when Scott traded there than they were an hour before when Scott traded there. And that's the reality. And anyone who thinks that Taylor Heineke is better than Carson Wentz does not understand how football works. Now, my favorite thing about this move is now they get to take that 11th pick that they have in the first round this year and not have to spend it on a quarterback, but rather address an additional need for cheap. And because it's at 11, they can go in as many directions as they want. They can go get Garrett Wilson, put him alongside Terry McLaurin, put more pressure on the NFC East secondaries, give Wentz some more options, right? They can go get... Tyler Linderbaum, right? Interior offensive lineman out of Iowa. Bring him in, have him start at center, move him over to either guard position, have him kind of bolster up the O-line. It's been an issue for a few years now, right? Go get Trevor Penning or, and, and put him at tackle, right? He's another option. Big, strong, physical guy. Devin Lloyd, right? Had have had a couple misses now with linebackers and early picks over the past couple years. Bring him in. He's an absolute lock. He's not a reach at 11, I don't think. Come in, put him right at Mike, have him space out, have him drop, have him rush what he's naturally meant to do. Very versatile. Could solve a lot of issues for you guys. A lot of issues for them. Or you want to bolster that secondary, lean into your strengths even more, and go get a Stingley. Or an Andrew Booth. That's the beauty of this now. Now that they have that main hole fixed with Wentz, they have a bunch of branches in terms of direction that they can go in and not have to worry. And what this does now is it takes a chaotic organization and gives them, for the first time in what feels like years, a sense of stability. Ron Rivera was on the hot seat and then woke up at that morning and now can drive to the building and know what he has at quarterback. Saints can't do that, right? Dennis Allen can't do that. Matt Rule can't do that. Steelers can't do that. Mike Tomlin can't do that. He gets to. And that creates a breath of fresh air, a sense of focus, and that's what they really need. And the Colts can't do it either. Now, the Colts, right, now... I'm not worried about the picks. They draft well, so I think they can do really well with those two picks. I don't understand the move. I don't. I would not have moved off him. I think that it's a very kind of instinctual, reflexive reaction on behalf of the of Chris Ballard. I think that he's watched him lose to the Jaguars, just kind of you know do a backflip in his own stomach, and be like, "Oh no, get him out of here!" Right because they want to protect the brand, right? But now Frank Reich's on the hot seat, and he doesn't know what he has a quarterback, and they don't have a first-round pick, and, you know, sure, right? Trubisky is a bridge. 
Garoppolo with all of his injuries as a bridge. Jameis Winston as a bridge. Whatever. Deshaun Watson, maybe. I don't think he really fits the brain of the Colts. Um, but this was a really, in my opinion, a poor, not a poor move. It was a, it was a very uncalculated move on behalf of the Colts' office. And I don't expect them to be in playoff contention next year. And I would not be surprised if the Commanders, new name, new ethos, new unis, don't be surprised they end up in the wild card. This league is crazy. That's going to be all we have for today, guys. Packed show. Great show. Glad you guys joined us. I've been Ernest Pryor with Wildcat Formation. We will see you guys right back here on Spotify, 89.1 Villanova Radio, next week. Stay classy, Villanova.